All right, well, good morning again. And um, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, real easy to find right at the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. I can't go very much further after that. But anyway, 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we'll begin this morning. And we have about uh, 50 verses to get through this morning, and then, we'll, then we're ready to eat. No, I'm just joking. I hope you're excited about being here this morning. I just see so many smiling faces. I just thank you so much for... Uh, for making that adjustment and for you being here and for so many of you uh, cooking and helping and other people asking, you know, what could I have brought? And I know many of you uh, maybe didn't know about it or different things of that nature, but I'm excited about all of us being able to just sit down and eat and have a good time in just a little bit. And uh, the whole purpose for it, we don't like to do things just, just to do things or on accident. We want to do things with purpose behind it. And you know, a lot of times when we come in, um, maybe you're here a week or not here the next week or what have you. And a lot of times we'll have, we don't even know who even comes to church with us. And, uh, and so this, and even if we do, sometimes we're, you know, coming in and then right out the door and we don't have a chance to sit and visit. And uh, now nobody's going to be necessarily serving you this morning or getting you refills. Uh, but we have an opportunity to sit down this morning and kind of talk and visit with each other. And it just gives us an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, because our purpose and what we want, when we say community church, we're not only talking about being able to reach our community, but for us to be a community, to be a church family with each other. As some people say, a faith family. And so uh, sometimes family will let you down, right? And be honest with you, sometimes church family will let you down. But what's good about family is, uh, you know, you can't run too far from them. They, they, find, they have ways of finding you. And so we want to be able to love you like, uh, like family. And so that's what we want to accomplish this morning as we're going to be eating. I put, told them I was on the clock this morning. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek. But... Uh, but I want us to be very purposeful when we get into God's word and, and look at it. And so I'm not diminishing God's word by saying that, but, uh, but I, I would like to work under pressure, right? And so, uh, but anyway, just a little haha, just a little funny. And uh, it's a hunter left out. So we'll, and before I get into my message, I won't acknowledge, but she is, has that Alabama uh, uh, stuff on that, on that car seat. And I told her before that she is from Alabama, so we give her a little bit of mercy. And uh, the song that we just sang, it said, uh, sin has left a crimson stain, uh, but he washed it white as snow, is what I sent her the day that Alabama eventually beat LSU. But anyway, it did leave a crimson stain on us, right, as LSU fans. Lord help us. So we're not going to acknowledge and give her the benefit of the doubt that, uh, that Alabama won. We'll just lick our wounds and go on, right? All right. Now, officially, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And this morning is talking about being thankful for good days. You showed up on the right Sunday because we're talking about good days. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, of how just as we're going through life and, 
and we sometimes we are, are faced with situations in our life where we kind of go our own way, we go our own route, but God will give us second chances. And we talked about how it is, we, we should be very thankful for second chances in our life. Really, it was a thankfulness of reconciliation, how God has come after us and God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And then last week when Brother Jake preached, we talked about daily provisions of how, you know, through the Monday, just the everyday life that we'll kind of uh, forget and lose sight of just the daily provisions that God has set out for us. The children of Israel, God was providing them bread from heaven, food from heaven, water from a rock. He was doing all of these miraculous things for them and they just kind of it wasn't the best. It wasn't steak. It wasn't filet mignon. It was, just, it was just this bread that God was miraculously feeding them in a place of desert, a place of wilderness that God was feeding them and they lost sight of those things. And so last week we were thankful for just the blessings that we have right here in front of us each and every day. Well, this morning, we're talking about being thankful for good days. And, and you know, a lot of times we have to go through a lot of mess to be able to celebrate in the good days. And it brings me back to this story. I just absolutely love this story uh, of King David. We all, we all know so much about King David. We've heard so many of those stories as maybe growing up in church, if you were like me. Or we have kind of bits and pieces about King David. We know that when he was just a young person, just a young boy, that God had told the prophet Samuel to anoint David as king. And it was just a great thing that God had looked at all of his other brothers, David's older brothers. David was the youngest out of all of his brothers. And he went through the line and Samuel, the, the, the priest of that day, the, uh, the prophet of that day, excuse me, went through and said, no, not him, not this one, not this one. And he got to the very last one, David. He said, yes, this is the one that God said is going to be the one that's going to be anointed king. And so a few years, years had passed by. David um, went through a lot of different things. You know about the stoning of uh, Goliath as the big giant fell down and David chopped off of it, chopped his head off. And then you see not only about Goliath, my son, Joel, my youngest son, asked me the other day, my mom never responded to my message because he asked me, was Nana alive when Goliath was real. I don't know why she didn't reply to my message that I sent to her about that. She has yet to reply. Uh, but no, Nana was not alive and Goliath was real. But David was. And David uh, kills Goliath and he works later on under King Saul. Saul was the first uh, king of Israel. And so Saul, he begins to walk in the ways of the Lord and then he rebels against God. And then God said he had enough with Saul and he is waiting for King David to take over on the throne for Israel. And that happens if you were to uh, look in chapter six, the first few verses, uh, it tells us about how uh, David is doing something here. David is now the leader of not only Israel and Judah, he's over the entire nation of Israel. Let me explain. Years before, I know that kind of confused us a little bit, but years before, God had, because of the rebellion of Israel, God had divided the kingdom into two kingdoms. He divided one for the nation of Israel, 
for all the 11 tribes. And for the other 12th tribe was the, the tribe of Judah. He had divided them into two different kingdoms and they were run by two separate kings. They, were, they had two separate places of where they were uh, there as far as like the capital city of those two places and of, the, of those two kingdoms. And for seven and a half years, David had only reigned over one. But now David was reigning over the, both of them. And so David had reigned a total of 40 years over the entire nation of Israel. When David takes over as the king over the entire nation of Israel, he does something special. He doesn't kind of choose one in the South Kingdom and one in the North Kingdom where to show favoritism to. He actually picks out a city kind of very much in the middle, this place called Jerusalem. You ever heard of this place, Jerusalem? Even today in the news, we're talking about how they're building the embassy for Israel as a nation in Jerusalem because it's a big deal for the people of Israel. And David is the one that established his place, the capital city of the whole nation of Israel in Jerusalem. Now we're going somewhere. Just stay with me. I'm just kind of setting the background. And so what David does in the first 11 verses is David is going to move the most precious thing that Israel has is, of course, God. And God had set a special place that he would reside over his people. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And so there was instructions of how you were to move the Ark of the Covenant from one from one place to another. It was very detailed out, very much detailed out in the Old Testament. And so David says, I have a great idea. He goes, I'm going to move the capital city to Jerusalem. Great idea. Right. And he goes, I'm going to move the Ark of the Covenant where God rests with his people. I'm going to move the Ark of the Covenant to this place. And so what we see in the first 11 verses of chapter six is that as David begins to move it, he's kind of like us, right? We start to do something and we start to do it our own way. And then we find ourselves in a mess because we didn't seek after God. We didn't ask God what we should do. And then there's things that we already know what to do and we don't follow through. We don't do, we don't, we don't do the things that God wants us to do. And so for the first 11 verses, David is moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and because he does it, not in the way that God had told him how to move the Ark of the Covenant, the priests were supposed to grab it and move it to the next place. And David didn't do that. He just put men on the on the Ark of the Covenant to move it. A man lost his life because of it. And David repents and he begs God for forgiveness. And and then when he finally makes the move again, the second time for the Ark of the Covenant from 12 verse 12 on through the rest of the chapter, he has the opportunity to move it the way God intended it to be moved and he gets it to Jerusalem. Now I love if you were to just look down at verse 22 of chapter six, David just says this because he knows the importance of having a place that the nation of Israel is one again. They're one. They're one whole nation again and David is the one that is leading them because of him seeking the Lord. And he knows now he's got God there with him in that place because of that Ark of the Covenant is there in Jerusalem. And so David is beside himself. David is excited. David is really happy. 
kind of like we will be in just a few minutes, right? But right now, you're just kind of looking at me. But David was beside himself, and he, he starts to dance in the city. He starts to celebrate. He knew this time he did it the right way, and he's able to just celebrate in the Lord. And David, Saul's, uh, David's wife, it was Saul's uh, daughter. Her name was Michael. She's there uh, right before verse 22. And she really comes into David's face and she says, how dare you dance like this? How dare you celebrate like this in the streets and have a big party the way you are? And David tells her in verse 22 and he says, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I have held in honor. And because of because of what she did, she she actually faced a little bit of uh, real judgment upon her life because she really kind of condemned David for celebrating and praising the Lord. And so for us, the lesson here in, and we're going to get to chapter seven in just a second. But in chapter six, we need to see that David had gone through through so many hills and so many valleys in his life. And through all of those hard times, God was just there with him. God was just uh, really ministering to him and he was getting somewhere on his journey. Now, for you, how does that relate to you? For us, I believe if we all kind of had an opportunity to tell our story this morning, we would kind of see ourselves like David in a way of just going through a lot of hills, going through a lot of valleys. Maybe for you this morning, you feel like there's been a lot more valleys, a lot more low times than there's been high times. I hope that's not the case, but a lot of times we feel like that. I was talking to someone yesterday and they just said, if it's going to happen to somebody, it's going to happen to me. You know, and, and if and if these things are going to I'm like, you just see the, the sense of just low and, and how they just felt like is just they, they feel like they're just kind of always up against it. And so, David, if you look at him, God had promised him years before that he was going to be the king. He was going to be in this position when he when he was just a young boy, he could probably just envision. I'm going to be standing there, the most mightiest and uh, most the person with the most authority sitting there and being able to rule the nation of Israel. But it took years before it actually happened. And so when it did happen. And he sees the blessings of God. And, and he starts to celebrate and dance in the street and he be, begins to just do all of these great things. When somebody said, how dare you act this way? David says, listen, this is just the half of it. Honestly, I should be more excited. David says, listen, if you, I love the way the wording here, he goes, even more undignified than this. You know, for us, I think there's a reverence with God. I believe there's an understanding uh, that we should have with God. But for me, to be honest with you, when I'm there worshiping, uh, and I'm kind of the same way when it comes to football. I'm kind of just standing up looking. I'm just intently really, really in the game. And a lot of times I won't be vocal and crazy or throw anything at the TV like some people uh, when it comes to sports. I looked at a few different people. But anyway, uh, whenever, you know, we all kind of respond in different ways in my heart. Whenever we're singing and praising and I'm there I am in my heart, my hands are raised and I'm kind of uh, maybe dancing around this room a little bit like that's what I want to do. But you already think I'm a little crazy and nuts and I, I don't want to prove it to you that I am crazy and nuts. But in my heart, I want to just unleash and just be I'm very thankful and happy about what the Lord is doing in my life. And if I would kind of just even have a glimpse of that throughout my everyday life. I'm telling you, my everyday life would be 10 times better. 
And so David is just beside himself and he tells this lady, he goes, listen, this is, he says, even I should, I would be even more undignified than this because God deserves it. God deserves it for us to loose our coat and tie and our Sunday best and our dress uh, to really just be able to worship him and proclaim him for who he is. And so David's excited. He's thankful for what God has done. And so for us, when we look at David's life and we see the, a lot of the hills, a lot of great things that he's done, but we see a lot of valleys. And for us, like I said, even though we're going through those valleys, even though we, it's been hard times in our lives, we can still celebrate of how good and how awesome God truly is. In chapter seven, something happens. David has an idea. And, you know, a lot of times we can talk about uh, Satan. We can talk about the enemy coming against us. We could even have a cute uh, shirt that says, not today, Satan. But we can have all of those things that come against us. And we like to blame it on the devil. We like to blame it on maybe our family. We like to blame, maybe blame it on our environment around us. But even if those things were okay, even though those things were just kind of at peace, a lot of times we are our worst enemies. Right? Just a little amen nod, right? A lot of times we are our worst enemies. You go back even to the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, uh, they didn't have family issues. They had no family. They didn't have environment issues. When I say that, just like, you know, the people that you go to work with, the people, you know, maybe it's the, the, the traffic that you have to face. Maybe it's the, the job, whatever it may be. All these things around them, they didn't have it. They had a perfect environment. Yet still, they were their worst enemies because it was what they wanted. The one thing God said, don't do. That was the one thing that they wanted. That was the one thing that they wanted to do. If we took a little journey this morning for our sweet ladies who are helping out in the nursery uh, this morning, the kid that has the toy, it's playing the other kid. That's the one toy that he wants when there's 50 other toys over there. Can I get an amen from somebody that has little kids, maybe even has two on the same age, right? And so that's the one toy that they want. It's inside of us. They get it on us. They get it from us. And so as you see here, in chapter 7, I want to turn your attention to, to, chapter, to verse 1, that it comes to pass when the king, talking about David, was dwelling in his house. And it's important here to know that David had a beautiful mansion. He had a great, nice house, a house that was, uh, that was a regular structure, meaning that he didn't have a house that was a tent. He had a nice house. And the Lord, continuing on in verse 1, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around. That was a big deal. The Bible says that David was a man of war. The nation of Israel, even to this day, all these thousands of years later, still look at David as the most celebrated and the most victorious king that they've ever had. They've never been as successful and as mighty as David was when he ruled and reigned over the nation of Israel. They had, the, they had the most wealth. They were the most wealthiest nation. They had all of these things in their favor, the nation of Israel did. But David was always having enemies coming against him. 
Now, of course, God was fighting those enemies. But I was saying about David, the Bible tells us that he was a man of bloodshed, that he was a man of war. He had blood on his hands because even it was in defense of God, that's what he was. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was the man that was leading the charge, leading the battle against his men. I think about whenever Saul was leading the nation of Israel and David was under him, Saul, they began to chant and praise Saul because they, uh, Saul had slain, and this was a big deal, as a leader, as a military leader, Saul had slain his thousands. And then Saul began to get jealous because he heard them saying, Saul his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Boy, that'll eat on your ego right there. And it did. He began to hate and despise David during that time. But David was a man of great, he was a great warrior. He was a great leader for his army behind him to follow him through battle. And so now David is sitting there at home and he doesn't have anybody to fight. And what happens? He, begin to, he starts thinking for himself. He becomes his worst enemy. Verse 2. It says, he, he doesn't have any enemies around him that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. He said he just... In the previous chapter, he just spent all this time moving the ark of God um, the proper way this time. And he brings it to where he was, where he was in Jerusalem. And now this is where the kingdom is set up. And he says, but it's in a temporary place. Do we know a little bit about being in a temporary place this morning? Right. And so it's in a temporary place. And he says, you know what? I have a great idea. He goes, I need to build God. He goes, well, I I dwell in a house and God's ark where God rests is in a tent. Verse two and verse three, it says, then Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan kind of spoke ahead of what he probably should have said because he says, you know what, David, here you are. And he goes, you need to do whatever's on your heart, whatever God is placing on your heart. Or he tells him whatever you have on your heart, you need to go and do. But a lot, of, a lot of times for us, that's our own thoughts. That's our own am, uh, uh, selfish ambition. We need to check everything that we have in our heart and our mind. We need to check it to God and follow what God is wanting to do. It's okay for our ideas. It's just that we've got to pass it through the one that we say is Lord over our life. Verse four says, but it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And I love this because... You know, in the, in the Old Testament, it was a little different. I'm not saying that David didn't have the Holy Spirit in his life. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> and his relationship with man was a little different than we are today. Okay? I don't want to get into all of that necessarily this morning. But God would have a man like Nathan as a prophet to kind of help, to kind of set the tone. He would speak to the prophet and the prophet would be able to go and speak to the man. And so God used this prophet Nathan in the life of David to kind of help him and it kind of straightened him out. And so that night after Nathan had just told David, David, whatever's on your heart, you go ahead and do those things. And then that night, God spoke to Nathan and he tells him in verse five, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in the house since the time that I was brought, that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day. Continuing on verse six, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why do you not build me a house of cedar? Now therefore, because of all this being said, thus says you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be the ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. God says that I tell you to build me a house of cedar like you have a house of cedar. I didn't tell you that. He goes, not only that did I not tell you and that it's a great idea, but I didn't instruct you to do those things. A lot of times our good intentions will lead us down a place that God didn't lead us to go. And he's like, did I tell you that? Did I instruct you of those things? See, if you're like me this morning, just to let you in a little bit of where I'm at, where I find myself in trouble is that I'm going in this direction in my own place, in my own ways, hoping and praying that God is alongside with me. And when I find myself in trouble, I'm looking for help. I'm asking God to come to the rescue. I've said this story to some of you before, but I remember uh, my brother who is six years older than me and my cousin Chad is three years older than me. And my cousin Chad, uh, he was kind of in my face. He was kind of messing with me and I'm just a young little punk. I'm just a young little brat of a kid. And uh, we was probably, I was probably about 10 years old. And I remember uh, Chad's right there in my face and he's just kind of messing with me. And I remember hitting Chad in the face. And Chad, it took everything he had inside of him not to knock me upside my head. And he wanted to and he started to. And guess what Garen did? He was smart enough to, to hide behind big brother. And I hid behind my brother and my brother kind of said, Garen, you shouldn't have done that. And, you know, he was telling Chad not to hit me back because he would have knocked me to next week. Right. Because and I deserved it. I deserved what I what I should have gotten from Chad. But my brother, when I got behind him, he came to my rescue. And so for us, for me, I'm still hitting my cousin Chad across the face a lot of times in life. And I'm asking God to rescue me. When before we even get started, before we even put ourselves in a mess. God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? And let, let, his, let our thoughts be the thoughts of God versus our own thoughts. And then when we find ourselves trying to hide from the cousin that we just hit, you know, that we, we still can be rescued by God. Thank the Lord for second chances and thank the Lord that God understands that we're, we're a hot mess. But maybe we would just put the Lord first in our life and we find ourselves in just a lot less situations that we, we seem to find ourselves in all the time. And so God says to him, number one, I didn't tell you to do this. Good idea. I didn't tell you to do it. 
And I love the way that God, I'm going to tell you this later, but God kind of tables the idea later. So the idea is not wicked, but God's saying, I didn't instruct you to do that. But God also says, have I not been with you in spite of not having a permanent place? When I led you out of Egypt and when you were there in the wilderness, as we saw last week, and you needed food and you needed water and you needed guidance by day and you needed guidance by night. Have I not been there with you? Of course he has. He's led them. He's guided them. God is not bound by building. God is not bound by time. God is not bound by our circumstances and our limited resources. God can do the things that he wants to do and needs to accomplish and wants to accomplish in our life really and truly many times without us. But he wants to use us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. You know, it's, and I use children as an analogy all the time. They only want guidance when they finally have, have come to the end of themselves. They don't really ask for those instructions. I got it. I got it. They're just so self-willed to get it done. And we act the same way. May we be smarter, maybe be wiser to look to him. And so what happens is, is that later on we see that God does fulfill what David requested. But God tells him, David, you're not going to be that man. Your son Solomon, he is not like you. He's not a man of war. Your son Solomon, when he takes over the kingdom, he will build me a structure as you have described. And so what David does, is, as any good father, is that David, he can't build it. God won't let him build it. But God allows him to prepare all the building materials, all the resources that his son Solomon would need, David prepares, pre prepares it for him. And as we conclude this morning, I just want to go ahead and read to us David as God has told him, I'm not going to allow you to do it. But he tells him of just how God, that he's still on his side, that he's still that he's still going to continue to work in his life, even without a so-called church building. And so for us, I say that not only before we get into his, his thankfulness back to God, I want us to be careful, not only in our personal life, but also in our church life. In our church, we're just so have this place of, and I say this with me first, this place of expectation of where and how and when God is going to move. I remember this time last year, Jake, there were people that were just kind of, you know, having trouble with friendships and having trouble with relationships and all of those things. And I would constantly say, why in the world would people want to be united with us? Uh, Garen, you know, you don't want to see my bank account today. I have nothing to offer you financially. You know, you can come and eat some satsumas off my tree if you want to. You know, uh, I got one right here that'll take it. Uh, I don't really have anything to offer. We don't really, we don't have a building. We've been joking the last few weeks that 
The middle schools have been using our gym for volleyball. I guess they're going to use it now for, for basketball. Well, you look at it as an, as an outreach. They are able to eat here and, and even have education next door. And so we're very thankful to allow them to use our gymnasium and our cafeteria and our classrooms. We don't have anything to offer except what we want to offer is a place that we can just worship the Lord be a community together, to love on people, to love on each other, to worship, worship Almighty God. And if we try to do it because of buildings, which we're not against buildings, believe me. <laughs> Somebody told me the other day that they played the lottery and that if they would have won, they would have tithed to the church. And if you would ask me, would you have taken it? Listen, your money is just as dirty as that money. <laughs> Absolutely, we would have been building with that money. So I'm not advocating for you to go gamble, but I am saying we don't check the offering plate to see where the money came from, okay? We're not against buildings, but we're where God is leading us and guiding us and God help us that we just keep our vision and our eyes on the Lord and not on us and not on our ideas because our ideas will have you planning something in November outside in Louisiana. All right? That's our ideas. I'm not saying that was, anyway, I'm not saying that wasn't godly. I'm just kind of picking with us. But our ideas will lead us to crazy places. Let's be about God's ideas. And if it is something that God has placed in our heart, it may be from God, like this idea, I don't think was necessarily far off, but God had said, wait. And boy, if there's something, you know, maybe I won't have the church that we envision. Maybe we'll have a smaller model of that. And if we build something, because we're not just here for one year. Lord, help us, let this be a church that we could say our children will be able to see even be greater and better than what we could ever imagine. And that's what David was able to do with Solomon. When we look right now, if you go on, on Google or you look something up in the history book, books, it wasn't David who builds his temple, as we said, but it is known as Solomon's temple. If, if this church is not enormous and a big structure as we want to be a light and a, and a beacon, not only in this community, but this area, because of Jake or myself, you know, let it be for one of the, the sons or, and the children for the next generation to reach the community built on the vision that we had even today. David, at the end of it, in verse 18 of chapter 7, says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? that you have brought me this far. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. I love that in verse 20, we're not done. But God knows us. God knows not only our wickedness, but God knows our heart's cry. 
God knows us in the secret places of our life. He knows us the most. And the old saying is still fitting today, the one who knows you the most, yet he still loves you the most. And David says, God, what can I say? You have shown favoritism. You have shown blessing to my house and to my kingdom. And he says, Lord God, you know your servant in verse 20. Verse 21 says, for your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds from your land before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And he continues on through this, and you say, what does that have to do with me? God chose out a nation of Israel, and he had a leader like David to go on behalf of the people. Now, God tells us when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, on the earth to live a sinless, pure life for you and I. He ends that life by dying on the cross for our sins. And because of that, God says, not only do I offer it to the Jewish people, but now I offer it not only to them, but for the rest of the world. And he says, the one that I will have to lead my people is going to be the ones that are found under the blood and under the leadership of Jesus. David, in a lot of ways, was that Old Testament example of Jesus. He was one of the ones that was an example, a picture, a model of who Jesus was going to be, was going to come. And for us, we live on this side of how Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And God is saying, you are my special people, the ones that are found under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you have never trusted the Lord, as that last song said, sin has left the crimson stain, and, but he washes white as snow. For us, we are sinners. We have been, because of our sin and our selfish ways, that we are just dirty before holy God. And he says, his son Jesus Christ came to take our place to shed his blood for us. And if we trust in him, in him alone, Jesus Christ, that we'll be saved. We'll have a relationship with God that he'll he'll come in and live inside of us and we will live for him. And so that is what he's saying to us, that he has called us as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, the Bible tells us. And he wants to lead us and he wants to do all of those things for his name's sake, just as he did the nation of Israel in the Old Testament when David was praising God for us. I'm done. My last statement. In his place of thanksgiving, in his place of thankfulness to God, in the good days, let us go, uh, let us go shouting. Let us go dancing in the streets. And in, in other words, when we're going about our life, you know what? Everything may not be going your way. There's people you know this morning that have really have a relationship with God. They're not perfect. And the enemies that have come against them, 
are not false. There's real life things happening to them. And there's people around you, you've seen enough of God in some people that you see, even through their circumstances, that they have the joy of the Lord. And I pray that for us today. As we have these good days, that the only way we can have these good days and these exciting days and these days of victory is because we serve a great God. And he's there. He's wanting for us to just move on and do the things that he wants us to do in him. And look, we find ourselves falling short. Absolutely. Thank the Lord we serve a God of forgiveness and restoration and all those different things so that we could pick up from where we are and continue to move forward. David is the prime example. How can God say about David that he was a man after my own heart when David fell so many times and we would put them on the list when we're looking at other people as the big, big sins? It's because when David fell on his face and he looked up to God and he continued on his journey pursuing the Lord, he was falling and he got up to remember the task God had put in his heart and he continued to look and put his eyes on the Lord. And for us, we're going to fall. It doesn't give us an excuse, but let's get up and look to him first in salvation and then every day in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for being the God that we described this morning, Lord God, a God of love and forgiveness and cleansing, Lord. I pray that we would get ourselves out of the way each and every day of our lives to focus in on you, Lord God, and see you, that you're wanting to lead us and guide us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not Get in the way of what you're doing, Lord God, that we would purify our thoughts, our motives, and put those things before you, Lord God. We would listen to you and obey your voice, whether it's in our own life, whether it's in others' lives, Lord God, as we're encouraging and helping them, or whether it's in our church life, Lord God, that we would just stay focused on you. Again, Lord God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and take this moment to celebrate and also respond to what God is telling you this morning.